Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> A lot of people like to see something a little spicy, and today's guest has been in the adult industry for 23 years. Next on stage one's co-host, Pixie. She's a mompreneur. She's had life experience that she wants to improve upon, and she's created a forum for it. She's putting a positive spin on the adult entertainment industry. Pixie, welcome. This is fun. I I like the little gaming chair. I think my daughter has the same one. Oh, I have like plushies and stuff. Like I'm completely surrounded by toys. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about that. (laughs) I have three different podcasts. So my main podcast is the next on stage one. And then my second one is pop culture perspective. And we talk about games and toys and like all of history and lore and stuff. And then my third podcast is project podcast with Pixie. So that's where I help other podcasters go through podcasting. Which came first? Next on stage one, but pop culture perspective, we've been recording it at the same time. It's my co-host, it's his show, but he has yet to release any episodes. So a whole year of recording and nothing has gotten out. So well, like, it oh. sounds like he needs to be on project with Pixie. Yeah, but he doesn't have any time. We'll spend anywhere from three to six hours for next on stage one together just hanging out talking all kinds of stuff and then we just do it because it's fun (laughs) oh my god three shows I cannot imagine because my one I feel like takes so much work it does I'm kind of chaotic the way that I stop not trying to create another podcast when I hear a really good thing because I always want to create more podcasts I go you know what instead of me creating a podcast I can just go and help somebody else create their podcast and then I can live through them (laughs) living vicariously through my podcasters I kind of collect them like cats so I love that So are you doing it for business now? Project podcast. I started a Patreon less than a month ago. I've got about four Patreons so far. So yeah, not too bad. That is awesome. And what are some of the things that you have helped podcasters with? I would love to know that. All kinds of things. I kind of snipe them off of Facebook. I don't like Facebook. So I bring them from Facebook over to Twitter, which is my thing. And since Twitter has Twitter spaces, I've been able to throw them into the audio chat room that is a Twitter space and go, okay, where are you? What have you been doing? And I just run them through the gauntlet of somebody just being absolutely okay. Now, what are we going to do? And I just kind of snowball them into every single step that they need for podcasting. And they can just basically ask me anything. Through the Patreon, I have four different levels. Like I have the level of you're you're just supporting me. And then I have the level of I've made videos that you can do weekly challenges. It's things like making a commercial. I I walk somebody through the steps of how to make a commercial for the podcast. I walk them through the steps of how to make a business paragraph for their podcast. Things that they need to do. Ooh, can you share some of that? 
Absolutely. Yes, because I think everybody needs to be able to think about their podcast, even though it's a hobby, it should be thought of as a business. Because if you don't have some sort of a trajectory for your podcast, you kind of go off into the weeds and you think you can, I'm just going to stuff this and this and this and this and this. But if you have a business synopsis for your podcast, your elevator pitch, basically, you can take any tweet that you tweet out, anything that you do and ask yourself, does this fit on brand? And it helps you focus everything that you post. Everybody likes to say you just need to start creating, but some people need boundaries to create in. I'm chaos. I'm absolutely chaos. I'm, I can just like post up anything and I don't even care if it's spelt wrong. I'm but like that too <laughs> a little bit. Some of my best performing posts. Tweets are things that I was just going to throw away. Was a thought that I had and walked away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just did one of those this past week where I got my kid's report card and I have to admit, I was feeling a little frustrated and I said, mm-hmm. do grades matter? And I did a poll and I put, do grades matter? It got over 330,000 views. Nice. Grades matter like to certain people, but the ones that really break the mold are the ones that don't shut up in class. (laughs) You'll know exactly what kind of job a kid's going to be best performing for depending on their grades. If they're they're really good at reading and really good at history, they're going to be fantastic behind a computer. They're going to be fantastic in all of these different things. But the ones that can't sit still, that fidget, those are the ones that are are meant for something like like there's a spark to them. And I just creative. Don't even know. Yeah, they're creative. <laughs> so I don't see it as, as over talking as being a downside. <laughs> but that can be reprimanded in school. Oh yeah. <laughs> I really like what you were saying about coming up with a business commercial. Mm. Oh yeah. What's yours? Uh, Because I have three different ones. I can do an elevator pitch for each, each and every one of them. Okay, let's go. All right. So next on stage one, welcome to next on stage one, where me and my co-host, Mr. J, we talk about everything that is in the sex worker umbrella. We have over 42 years as sex workers, being strippers, being on the casting couch, talking and telling some of the best, juiciest secrets that you may never know about. So pull back the curtain, grab a beer and join us next on stage one. Yeah, that's Short, really good. We, I can switch it up. I can throw other things into there, depending who I'm telling about the podcast. That totally sounds like a radio commercial too. Yeah. You just need two sentences about who you are and what the podcast is about. You want to be able to tell them where they can find it. How often do you release? What's the meat and potatoes behind the podcast that you're producing? Well, if you can get that mission statement out and you can sort of weed it down, you don't have to completely niche down, but if you put up your mission statement, give yourself some walls, you can really work and blossom within those restrictions. I love that. And 42 years of experience between the two of you. Well, I have 23 years myself as a dancer. So yeah, I was a stripper for a very long time. (laughs) When did you start? I started in 1998. And you look young. I'm 42. We're the same age. (laughs) It was one of those things that was born out of necessity. I had a brand new baby at 18. I had no life skills. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And 
I just kind of walked into the business and said, hey, I think I can do this. And boy, was I wrong. I can't imagine as a new mom, my mom had me at 18, got pregnant with me at 18 too. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like we are a society that pushes this sort of like everything, movies, video games. There's this whole sort of sex culture that we can't talk about, but it's it's like right there. Everybody knows that like ZZ Top with like those beautiful women who come out and they're all dancing on the cars. That's what I remember. Like the dancers, when I first started, they were all tall, blonde hair, big fake boobs and no ass and legs for days. And, and I'm like this five foot redhead with big boobs and no ass. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I, maybe I don't exactly know what I'm going to do, but I needed to do something. I was able to work the day shift, take care of my son as a single mom, pay for all of my bills, have a vehicle, have a house to live in, and just be able to do that and be there at home at night for him every single night. Yeah. I give it to you. That is (laughs) incredible truth. It was hard. My parents were divorced and my mom didn't want me to be at her house with a brand new baby. It was like, all right go live your life. You want to be crazy? Well, go see how life really is. And so I got a real big lesson real quick and it grows you up real quick. Did you ever want to crawl back? Oh yeah, I did. I I went back to my mom and I, I lived with her and it was miserable. There is no better feeling than being independent and being able to take care of whatever you have without having to rely on somebody. I would agree with that. I also feel like kind of how you were describing it in the beginning was a different way of entertaining than today. Like, can we talk about how it used to be like nice costumes and like a performance? It was more of a entertainment. When you think of things like hot for teacher, you thought of like a girl putting on, on an outfit and she had a song and she had a set list, all of that. And now we're in this TikTok generation, which I hate. I hate what we're basically indoctrinating children into. I believe that things that are adult should be adult things. And I believe that parents should be there to educate and teach their children on things that are like that. But if If the adult doesn't have those kind of skills to be able to say, this is what sex is, then we kind of lose it. So my, my mom didn't teach me anything. My dad didn't teach me anything. It's very tawdry, like the, the way that we go about everything. And so now we have this whole huge TikTok generation of girls who are twerking. And I believe twerking is a form of sex work. I I believe that it is right there. That's what strippers do. And I don't think young ladies should dance like that. I don't think we should be in this culture of likes for our feelings. It really bugs me. It bugs me on a mom level. It bugs me on an adult entertainer level. It it just bugs me. What about OnlyFans? I believe that if you are an adult, everything that has to do with sex work has to be consult-based. If you can't say, this is what I want, you shouldn't be doing it. If you can't give yourself the boundaries and the techniques to be able to make sure that you're going to be safe and secure, then you shouldn't be in it. But 
We have people who are breaking their backs for minimum wage. These ladies, they work hard on what they do. They're strong, independent. A lot of them, you're working from home. You can dress up. You can jump in front of the camera. There's a lot of work to it. It is a job. It's not just easygoing. And I give them a lot of credit. It's it's hard to be able to, to bring somebody into your home and to let everybody see what kind of sheets you have on the bed. That's pretty freaking scary. Yeah. Also, I I couldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I could, but I am curious, like, is the money good in doing? Oh yeah. You'll always have your top performers. You'll always have the people that have refined their craft. You'll always have your amateurs and the people that are looking to get into it. And then you'll always have the predators that like to prey on people that don't know what they're doing. Just the same as in podcasting. There's there's a lot of predators that, that are out there. Fans Only is a good site if you want to break into it, if you want to learn how to talk to people. But it's a it's more marketing than it is just taking pictures. It's a lot of work. And you don't just jump into it because you have 20 minutes out of the day to take a couple of snaps. You got to make sure your hair is on point. You got to make Oh, it's, it's too much to work, too much work, too much work. <laughs> Have you tried it? I did. Me and my husband tried it in November last year. It didn't work for us. I was producing the podcast. I was doing all kinds of marketing for that. That's how I started on Twitter. I had a hundred followers and I was posting really spicy content and it didn't work. People did not care for the absolutely spicy content. So I, I pulled it back. I was like, all right, I'm not going to do this. This, this isn't working with me and my husband. This isn't working with my time and my schedule. And it's definitely not working with Twitter. I'm surprised. That's how I found you was Twitter. Yeah. It was interesting to see that I was doing Twitter wrong. I was marketing my, my, not only my podcast, but myself wrong. Because I didn't have a mission statement. I didn't know how Twitter worked. I, I was basically asking Twitter, where are all the cat videos? And I didn't know what I was, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And after that whole failed two months of fans only, it didn't work. And when it didn't work, I, I pulled back and I started to do research and see what posts were actually getting me the engagement that I wanted, what posts people were talking back to me or, or any, anything, any kind of engagement. That's it was, smart that it, it was, only took you two months to step back. Well, there's things that happen behind the scenes, right? We're, we all have relationships and things that happen behind the scenes and you don't want your public and your private personas to really mend. You want some sort of space so you can retreat back home and be able to be comfy within yourself. And the fans only, it was just so invasive that I didn't feel comfortable in it. I kind of started figuring it out. I I had no idea what I was doing. And then Twitter released Twitter spaces. And as soon as Twitter spaces came out, instead of texting and like writing, because I'm terrible at it, I found that there was this whole bunch of podcasters that were just amazing that I could just talk to. And there was, there's just this wealth of information on Twitter, on Twitter space from people just like me who don't know how to use Twitter. And so as soon as I started getting in there, I started jumping in. I started public speaking with CEOs and business owners and just like, just some of the best people who were on Twitter. As soon as I did that, I started crafting and curating who I wanted to be. 
I'm still a shit poster. I still post cat videos and terrible memes. Most of my posts are terrible memes. They're terrible stripper memes. And I ask like the most ridiculous questions of people and I'll relate it to whatever episode's going on. So when you do a post on Twitter, Twitter loves images. They love something eye-catching. If it's not your image, use a GIF. And then pepper in at least one or two hashtags that have to do with it. So if you're writing a paragraph and it says like podcast and it says like Nintendo Switch or something, make Nintendo the hashtag. You don't have to have a whole bunch of hashtags. Stick to one or two. You can also create your own hashtag for your podcast. I do that. Yeah. Yeah, I do better call daddy. Yeah. I am upset though because somebody has better call daddy on Twitter and I was able to get it on all the other social media channels and that person will not give it up. That's the thing about stealing a hashtag from somebody else. You have to make sure that whatever hashtag you're using for your podcast doesn't have inappropriate stuff because not everybody's into the spicy content. That's why I created Project Podcast, its own landing page, just because I want people to still get the information that I'm putting out without the spicy. Not everybody's going to be on board with what I do. That's okay. Cause I'm not for everybody. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So I want to hear your other commercials too. Okay. So if you're a brand new podcast or, or somebody who has questions and issues, I want you to join me every Wednesday, 12 PM mountain standard time for project podcast with Pixie. We do an in-depth discussion round table on this audio platform called Twitter Spaces. So if you have time, I want you to tune in and tune up and get ready because we're going to talk about podcasting. You have such a great voice. I think I sound like a chipmunk. (laughs) It took me about six episodes of editing Project Podcasts with Pixie to enjoy my voice. It really did. And and that was this year. I can relate to that because I listen to all of my episodes after they're edited. You should listen to your episodes after they're edited because in reality, you're the number one listener. Every time you listen to your podcast and it's on message and you and you see yourself like nodding along with what you're doing, you're engaging with yourself and making sure that the content fits what you want to do. Do you record your intros after? I have a set recording intro for Project Podcast, and it's kind of boring. I read it straight off of my notes on my phone, and I was like, this is kind of boring. I think once I hit one more episode, I'm going to re-record my intro and just give myself the opportunity to bring it up a notch. It's interesting because all of the episodes are done on Twitter Spaces. All of the episodes for Next on Stage One and Pop Culture Perspective, they're all done in studio. So they're not recorded live. What made you want to record those in studio? My co-host is a hermit. (laughs) He goes to work and he comes home and then that is it. And so if I wanted to do a podcast with him, I would have to go where he's at. He's got a house. He had an extra spare bedroom. And season two, we basically built the studio in his spare bedroom. We put up the foam on the walls. We made it look so nice. It is so nice. It sounds great. It's got good quality to it. And it helps us think of what the next season will be because we're on season three right now. Have you learned anything about YouTube? 
I'm working on YouTube. YouTube is a very interesting animal. And I want people to rem remember that YouTube is the third largest search engine. Even if it's just your text, your podcast through Headliner up on YouTube, start now. Start now. Let people know what you're doing. You don't have to have video. You don't have to have a whole bunch of show work just to start. And YouTube is weird because you get a lot of people who will say follow for follow. Well, follow for follow doesn't work because then they just unfollow you later on. Or YouTube will remove them if they didn't watch one of your episodes. So basically, instead of saying follow for follow on YouTube, you say, hey, I want you to watch an episode of mine. And if you like it, then I want you to subscribe because then I'll know that you're going to be there for my content. And I tell the same to other people, let me watch your content and then I'll subscribe if I want to. I don't do the follow for follow. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible on Twitter as well or Instagram. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of like, people yeah. connect and then <laughs> unfollow. I really hate that game. It's, it's pettiness. It's, it's so petty because I'm not ashamed to admit it. I have an app that tells me who unfollowed me. And as soon as you unfollow me, you don't get my follow anymore. It's it's cool. You, you don't have to follow me. I also don't follow people first unless I really? know them. Yeah. Unless I've talked to them in a Twitter space and said, hey, I like what you're doing. I give you a follow. Then that way I know that that I'm not just following out of spite. I'm just not following to make sure that they're fall they're going to follow me. I want it to be a genuine connection where I know that there's going to be some sort of interaction between me and another person. And Twitter spaces is great because then I can I can hear you who you are. I can understand what you're doing, where you're coming from, and just have a really good conversation right out the bat. It reminds me of Clubhouse. Did you explore that? I did. I didn't really like Clubhouse. It reminds me of AOL online, the old chat rooms. <laughs> yeah. So I am interested like how you stayed safe working in a strip club because you seem like you're good at boundaries. Have you had to learn that? Yes, I had to learn that. Boundaries are very important. Nobody touches me. You don't, you don't touch me. No touchy, no touchy, no touchy. No touchy. I don't want to tell somebody or give somebody the wrong impression. When I dance, it's strictly time for money. You enjoy how I dance. You enjoy what I'm saying. You enjoy this time. I don't know too many strippers that would go out with guys just for fun. A lot of the strippers, they had husbands, they have boyfriends, they had girlfriends, and they weren't looking to hook up. And so it's one of those kind of things that people get a, a misconception at, at, you know, they're like, Definitely. oh, she's willing to do whatever for money. And a lot of us are like, no, <laughs> I met my husband in the strip club. Yeah. Tell me that story. 10 years ago, I was sitting at the bar in my street clothes and I was just drinking with the bartender where it's the switch over from day to night shift. And I'm just sitting there at the bar and this guy walks up and he sits down and he's got a five inch mohawk on his head, no facial hair, tall, tattooed, completely not my type. I struck up a conversation. I'm here at the bar. I'm not going to pay for my own drinks. <laughs> <laughs> smart. <laughs> and so we got into this really good conversation. I was like, okay, well, I got to go to work. And he's like, well, where do you work? I was like, here. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm a dancer. So I got off the stool. I got, I went in the back room. I changed into my stripper gear and I looked like a completely different person. Nice. <laughs> he's all like, oh, 
He's like, you're taller. I was like, yeah, I'm wearing, wearing six inch heels. <laughs> We've been married for five years now. Aww. <laughs> yeah. So it can happen. You just don't go into the strip club looking for love. Pixie has been Pixie for 23 years. We're two similar but different individuals. And it's, it's interesting to see how it bleeds over. But I've always kind of wanted just to be there for my kids because I didn't have that. I'm more involved. I talk my kids' ears off. I, I'm making sure that I like bust in their door and I, I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, I'm, I'm more of a involved kind of person because of who I am. And like my daughter, she knows now and she's 16. But I want her to be able to use her, her smarts instead of her beauty. And that it's one of those things that we've talked about as mother-daughter because she goes through her own issues because she doesn't have the same issues I had when I was growing up. It's a completely different set of issues. I get to be her friend and I get to tell her the things that, that she needs to know, like safety, like how to tell people, no, these are my boundaries. And I get to be a woman's woman somebody that that she can rely on and my oldest because he is 23 I get to do the same with him my youngest he's 11 so but my youngest has no clue none at all he's just really you've been able to keep it from him yeah yeah well he thinks I'm just a podcaster that's cool yeah adult things are for adults and when the right question comes up or the right opportunity to explain it to a younger person it needs to be in an age-appropriate breakdown for them I'm never going to show my daughter how to twerk I'm never going to show my 11 year old this is what you do because it's not appropriate on multiple different levels yeah I am interested like what it was like the first time you got out there and how you evolved as a dancer. I was pretty scared. It was a what's known as a juice bar. A juice bar is completely nude. And I didn't know it was completely nude. I thought it was just topless. And and they said, no, no, you, you don't have to go completely nude your first time up. It's fine. And I had the wrong kind of shoes. I had this, those big, chunky wedge ones that you wear to prom. <laughs> And I had the wrong kind of panties. I had full back black ones. And I thought I was super, super sexy. I had like one of those baby doll black one pieces. It was, thank goodness I was cute because it was like a deer trapped in headlights. And it was a ramp that led to a stage with one pole in the center. And there were no other poles around the stage. And it was, it was quite terrifying. The only bonus was it was during the day and there was nobody drinking and I wasn't drinking. So you think it's better sober? I like it sober. I don't have any drug or father issues. For me, none of that stuff ever hit. Yeah, I was kind of abused. I've been abused before, but but nothing ever sexually abused. So there's a lot of misconceptions, like I said before. There's a lot of kind of things that everybody thinks that these are women that or men that are never going to do anything with their life. But I know so many CEOs. I know so many business owners. I know so many lovely ladies that have just done fantastic things in their lives and they used dancing to do whatever they're doing and that's really the the basis of the podcast is telling good stories and letting people hear my side of the story what episodes have gotten the most engagement so one of the episodes that gotten the most engagement was this season three we talked to a sex doll company i had denver dolls 
who rents sex dolls to individuals per hour. So for two hours, you can pay under $200 and you can have a lovely time with a silicone individual. (laughs) Have you seen one of these? Yes. And they jiggle and they shake. And let me just tell you, it's kind of fun to slap and jiggle the parts around. There's a high level of intrigue. And then there's a high level of misconceptions to it. A lot of people are like, oh, well, why would somebody want a sex doll if they have a wife at home or a girlfriend at home? And we asked like all of the questions. We got into it. And I'm just like, what? I need to know. And then my co-host, he's so like, Pixie, you're a girl. You just don't get it. And it's like, men are simple creatures. I was like, well, I want to know more. It was a great episode. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I want to know more too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to that one. It's a great episode. It's it's our highest ranking episode. And then our second highest ranking episode is me actually. Episode number 5 of season 1 where I I tell stories. It's when the the podcast was still young and new and the sound quality wasn't very good. I was like, why are you people still listening to this episode? It sounds terrible, but there's good quality content between me and my co-host, Mr. J. Yeah. So tell me about your co-host too. So my co-host, not only was he an exotic dancer, but he also managed a group of us to do birthday parties, bachelor parties, those kind of things. And I've known him since 2005. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, So we have like a, like a brother sister relationship where we can ask all kinds of stupid questions and be nerds at the same time. (laughs) He's fantastic. He's opinionated. And I think more of a diva than I am in the podcast. Yeah. He's my Ed McMahon. (laughs) I love that you've both been in the industry too, like, and that you talk about it from the male and female perspective. Well, it gives us different perspectives on what we're doing because you don't just want one side or the other. You want to be able to sit down and have a discussion. Our episodes are about an hour and 20 minutes long. So they are longer formatted episodes. We go through all kinds of different topics. We have a lot of fun. Sometimes we definitely don't agree on different things like terms or issues that come up. What kind of terms? He doesn't think that being a porn star is a sex worker. He thinks it's just fucking. Really? So yeah, there's different kind of levels. He thinks that if you're going to be a sex worker, there should be some sort of craft art form about it. We get into it a lot of the times. We've had two episodes where we, we've disagreed on terminology. And every time we do it, we just kind of come back and we kind of reevaluate how we feel. The sex doll episode definitely changed Jay's mind on personal vibrators for women. It changed his mind. What were his thoughts prior? (laughs) He didn't like it when his significant other, his girlfriend, if she had a toy when he was younger, he would break the toys. Yeah. I was all like... Yeah, it's like, it's like, Jay, you cannot destroy somebody else's property just because you feel jealous over an inanimate object. We were able to talk and discuss things on a different level that a lot of people don't get to talk about. And realistically, it's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I am definitely talking to my dad about topics that we had never discussed prior to the show as well, like this. <laughs> Have you asked him 
what was his level of sexual education? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Or who I, he learned it from. Right. Or how was the school's sex ed class, you know, and does he think it was adequate? Like there's a lot of older generations. Those are the people we learn from. (laughs) It's kind of scary to think of the lack of. (laughs) And what do you think about sex education now? I think it needs reform. I think it needs to be better. And I think we need to be talking to parents. Parents and teachers need to be on the same page when it comes to sex education. We need to know how educated that person is teaching whoever is learning. Parents need to go through sex education. Teachers need to go through sex education. And they need to come up with a plan together. The school cannot teach a child without a parent's consent. And I believe that it does work both ways. I believe that the education should come from home. But if home does not have education, they should have be able to have a resource like a sex ed teacher to be able to back what's going on. And maybe, just maybe, there should be a sex education class for the parents at school so they can see the resources that the children are going through. It would break down the barriers of what children are going through. Maybe you don't know what's going on in TikTok. Maybe you don't know what's going on in your children's phone. But a lot of that could be discussed If we have involvement on both sides, (laughs) that's what I would do. Yeah. Are you on top of what your kids are doing on their phones? Just on their phones, but not in school. Yeah. Did you get involved when they were learning sex ed in school? With my son and with my daughter. Yes. My Uh, kids are learning it now. So how old are your kids? I have a 13, 10, nine, and two. Oh, wow. Well, my two-year-old obviously isn't learning well, yet. With two-year-olds, it's more of this is personal boundaries. And even though I know you, you still have to make sure that I'm okay with, with what you're doing to me. Being able to give a two-year-old the ability to say, no, I don't want to hug the weird, creepy grandpa or my uncle. It's a boundary that, that children should, should learn. They shouldn't be able to have the no. Even if it makes the adult uncomfortable, because not every kid is okay. Even from a two-year, a two-year-old can still tell you no. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is. It is. We need to get back to being honest with kids and, and giving them advice at their level. Definitely. Who did you learn sex ed from? I didn't. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't even learn how to do my makeup from my mother. I didn't learn sex ed from my mother. I didn't learn sex ed from my father. The highest level of I learned anything that was sex ed was putting a condom on a banana and having one of those plastic baby dolls that cry and maybe the egg. And and that, that was it. That was it. Here you go. Here's your baby. All right. Take care of it. Come back and tell us how that worked. But they didn't tell you anything. I can remember my mom saying, if you're fucking like rabbits, you're bound to have bunnies. And then that was it. <laughs> well, it, that was some wisdom there. Yeah. But at the age that I was having sex, it was pretty scary. I was 15 when I first had sex. We were not using protection and nobody said anything. Nobody stopped me. Nobody, nobody stopped me. I was like wild and free. And it's kind of scary, but my kids aren't anything like I was, thank God, when I was 16. My oldest, he's 23, no kids. My daughter, she's 17, 
no kids. So I'm like, yes. <laughs> You're like gold star there. Yeah. She's already past the threshold that I was at her age when I got pregnant with my son. I do have a mother type figure in my life now that I didn't have when I was younger. She's a licensed nurse and she's well, well into her seventies, highly religious. And she accepts me with all of my character flaws. She knows that I was a dancer and everything. And we sit down even like, like a couple of months ago, we'll sit down and we'll talk about women's issues. You know, she's been a midwife for a lot of ladies and delivered a lot of babies in her own house. So having a resource of somebody who is educated, who understands the issues that everybody goes through, it's a valuable resource. And I think if everybody just took a little bit more time to be a little bit more educated about themselves, that could really help you open the doors to communication with your children. I absolutely agree with that. And I've been kind of trying to work on that. I feel like the more you read books or yeah. the more you better yourself, it just helps the whole house. But if you push too hard, they shut up and then they don't talk to you. So you have to lightly push. Like, well, how does that make you feel? She seems nice. Where do you think you could see yourself, you know, providing for her? Or, you know, kind of ask questions and let them sort of answer things. And then you can pry a little bit more until they start clamming up. And then you kind of like step back. <laughs> Do you feel like you've learned some of that from working in the adult industry? Oh, yeah. I learned how to like look people in the eye, stand up straight, smile when I talk. I don't have any guilt. I don't have any shame. Like I can walk in front of a group of 50 people in stripper heels and a thong and not blink an eye, not worry if I'm going to fall or stumble or anything. I could do that. I admire that. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's really interesting to, to be able to think of something like that. Wow. How long did it take you to get there? Within the first year. Within the first year, I was already growing and developing who I was and sort of honing my personality. Did you have some mentors or did you have? There was a couple of girls. We had like a silver fox there at the club and she was definitely uh, silver haired, big boobs. She was definitely willing to say, hey, go sit with this guy. Hey, go try this. But she wasn't like a mentor mentor. She was just somebody that was making sure that I, I was able to make money and learn as I go. And if I had any questions, I could just be like, dude, this guy is being weird. And she would get somebody to throw him out for me. Yeah. Can you talk about some of those situations? Well, in the juice bar, because everything was really dark, we would have those high backed red leather chairs and stuff. And then it looked kind of like a diner in a way. It's it kind of gross and kind of dark. Everything was really dark. Strip clubs are really dark. And you would catch guys coming in in their trench coats. Back in the day, they would give themselves a little self-service under the table. And you'd be like, oh, this is gross. And I'd have them kicked out. Well, that's good that they kicked him out for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say that's another misconception. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of things happen. A lot of things happen in the strip club. And it's mostly people thinking that they can do whatever they want in the strip club. It's a lot of people going, well, I can go in and I can pay this amount of money. I can get whatever I want. 
it's a fallacy. It's kind of bad sometimes, but I don't have any regrets of what I did in the strip club. I don't really have any regrets of the people I've met. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of people I would consider family. Did it lead to any opportunities that you wouldn't have expected? A lot of job opportunities, a lot of money making. And now that I have my podcast, I have 23 years to talk about. I've got all of this like awesomeness just to hang out and be like, oh, do you remember the time I got hit with a chair in the strip club? You know, things like that. What? I can t- <laughs> I you had a Jerry Springer moment in the strip club? Okay. So I, I tell the story on the podcast, but I was working at night. It was shift change. So between six and seven is when the daytime girls leave and the and the nighttime girls come. And I'm always there early and on time because I, I need to be prompt. I don't know what's wrong with me. And I had my favorite blue outfit on. I had my hair done. I got my stilettos on. I'm sitting at the bar. I have my, I have one of those Moscow mules, the little copper cups. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm drinking and they call me up to stage. I go up on stage. There's three stages, stage one, two, and three. I was on three, which is in the middle, which is weird. Stage one picks the music. So we're up dancing to Fleetwood Mac songs. So it's a very hippie-ish kind of like entertaining, you know, slow kind of jams. And I got one guy at my stage. The dancers are higher and the customers are like down here looking up. And you got this guy and he is drumming. He's doing like the air drums for this whole song. He's like, he's got the cymbals going on. I'm like, this guy needs to either tip me or he needs to go. So the second song comes on. I haven't made a dollar off this guy. Okay, I'm ready. I take my outfit off. I get down on my knees and I go, hi, in my nice customer service voice because I want a dollar from this guy. (laughs) Actually, I want two because I'm going to be up there for two songs. I want some money from this guy who's taking up space at my stage. As soon as I get down there, I look at him. He looks up at me. He puts me in a headlock and pulls me down to the stage. I'm looking at the rest of the room going, what the fuck? What is going on here? And I go, oh, all right. This, this, this might just be a miscommunication. So I go to pull back up. He grabs me by my hair and pulls me back down to the stage. I said, all right, that's it. I take the palm of my hand and I hit him as hard as I can in his ear. Allegedly, this might or might not be a real story. (laughs) In his ear. Over and over again, till he releases my hair, I pull back, I grab my clothes, and I just start cussing this guy out. Don't you ever do, 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 put your hands on. And I am saying all of the words in the book, <laughs> anything. I'm like, how dare you? And I grab my drink, I get off stage, and I go down the stairs, and I go past stage two. I look over my shoulder, and this guy is running at me full force. I throw my drink at him. I run and I jump over the the set of couches that we do for lap dances. I throw my arms up and he hits me with a chair. There was a customer with a stripper on his lap and he pushed her out of the way. He got hit on the top of his head, allegedly, with the same chair. This guy threw three chairs that night, didn't get kicked out of the strip club, Yes, you could hear me over the music because that's how loud I am. The doormen were all all the way on the other side of the club, but you, you could still hear me. They didn't throw him out. They didn't beat him up. They didn't call the cops all because he was dating 
the bartender. Oh my God. They asked me, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to go home. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I just got hit with a shower. Send me home. <laughs> I would imagine that that would cause some tension between was, you and the bartender. I didn't like her at all. <laughs> and the guy's name was Tarzan. He was oh. this big, tall, like wild individual. How do you go back to work after that? You take a couple of days off and you go back. Money. <laughs> oh my God. That is scary, actually. I mean, did you ever take self-defense? I'm only allowed to beat up one or two people in the strip club per year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the nice stripper. I am the nice stripper, but I'm not the nice stripper. If you're lippy to me or you touch me inappropriately, you're going to get slapped in the face. There's going to be some sort of physical altercation because I'm like a chihuahua. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been in trouble before at the bar. I've been in trouble where I've beaten up a stripper before. I want to know that story too. And then we can <laughs> One totally of wrap days. there. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. I haven't told that story on. The oh, come on. Let me get some exclusive. Uh... No, not this. That time. one's coming out on the air, huh? It is. It is. Oh my and, god! And we we tell all kinds of trashy, fun stories like that. I do a lot of shenanigans. I am a pixie for a reason because I'm very mischievous. I've caused a lot of trouble, but it's always like in good fun. It's not anything where I'm breaking bottles and like threatening customers. It's more like I had a fishing pole with a dollar bill on the end. And, you know, I went fishing for strippers, you know, those kind of things. Or my co-host telling people about how he used to dress up like Urkel. I heard that. And <laughs> since we're the same age, I totally watched that show. Hilarious. It's just a good fun time between two friends talking about the shenanigans that we did in our past. Oh my Reliving God, I want hated. you to help me come up with a new commercial because I'm getting ready to come up on season three. Ooh, you definitely should do a trailer for season three. How long are you going to take your break between season two and season three? I'll probably keep going because I have a bunch in the can. I'm trying okay. to figure out who I want to be the last one and who I want to be like the kicker for the next season. Do you do a, a, cine, a season wrap up at the end? I don't, and maybe I should. Because our episode number 25 and our episode 50 were wrap-up episodes. And then when we come back, we come back with a new song, a new image for the show, and kind of reinvigorate what we want to see for each episode. So this season is called Down and Dirty. So we're trying to do more hot button topics, more like more trashy stories, get on more like guests that we have coming down the pipeline. I love that. On this show, I love including my whole family. I think it's great. My father's been dead for six years, so I don't have anything like that that I can uh, really pull from. So I think, oh. I think you got to kind of pull it while you have it and really enjoy the time. That was really, honestly, the whole idea behind this was that I wanted my kids to kind of know my dad while he's still with it. And like mm -hmm. that he can respond to all of these crazy topics that I want to talk about. And it's, it's kind of like creating my legacy in real time where they're yeah. not always going to have this relationship with him. And they're not always going to be 20s. little. <laughs> and they're not always going to be little. I even let my kids ask some of the guests questions. Oh, how So cute. I include them. But 
I'm interested in what is something that you want to carry on about your dad or something that you don't want to carry on? Uh, I don't want to carry on the anger. And he was just a real grump of a bear, a real violent individual in his old heyday. He got softer, but living with him was when I was younger, it was, it was very hard. I have a very dark and seedy past. So the stripping was, was not one of those. It wasn't the dark part of my life. It's kind of interesting to be able to remember him. I like to remember him at the end instead of the earlier years of my life. Were you able to have some good moments with him at the end? At the end. Yeah. At the end. It took him to really soften up from going from a 100 the whole time to maybe an 87. <laughs> wow. What made him angry? Do you know? Uh, life, life. He grew up in a different kind of world than I did. And then his father grew up in a different kind of world. And I, I feel like as I get older, I soften, my children are softened. There's a lot more understanding than there was when when I was growing up. So like I said, the issues that I faced when I was younger is not the issues that my children face. <laughs> and I pray for that too. There's a lot of things that I wish I would have allowed my children to do that my father had us do. We played outside a lot, like a lot. If the street light was on, you got home. My kids are, are nerds. They're super techie. They're super smart. They're, they're into books. They're not into going outside. So I wish I would have like forced the kids to go outside a little bit more. Well, during the pandemic, there's time for that. <laughs> uh, it's too late. They won't go outside. <laughs> they're on their screens all the time. They're right? on their screens. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like that. I am trying to encourage my kids to go outside too, but hopefully over winter break, we'll do a little of that. Yes. Grandpa's here. He doesn't do phones. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Well, I feel like you've already asked my dad a question. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to say? No, I, I think we covered a lot of it. Yeah. Or anything that you would like to promote all of your shows? How can people find them? Well, I'd like to promote Next on Stage One because it's my main podcast. And that is available on Apple, iHeart, Spotify on 35 different players. It is everywhere because I'm basically a social media menace. And if you want to hear more of my stories or even my co-host, Mr. J, I want to invite you to listen to Next on Stage One. And for those of you that are podcasters, I want to invite you to the Twitter space or even to listen to Project Podcast with Pixie because it's a valuable resource for people that are just starting out there. You want to learn something past the basic, how do I create a podcast? It's the podcast for podcasters. I'm definitely going to check that out. And I look forward to finding you on Twitter spaces. I did not know that you did that every Wednesday. And sometimes I even do pop-up spaces. <laughs> Please send me a link. Like I will include all of that in the show notes. Absolutely. And I look forward to knowing you more. Thank you for being open to doing this. I love well, that we connected through Twitter and I think you're amazing. Well, thank you. I think you're amazing. I think it's a, a valuable resource to be able to tap into having your father be there for you and your kids. I think it's great. I think a lot of us, that's what we need more is more family. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. All right, I brought you some Pixie drama. Well, Pixie is really taking her life experience and trying to make something positive out of it. 
she's a young lady that comes from, as you were able to question, where she wasn't sure where she was going when it came to lovemaking, when it came to what she was going to do with herself. And she's used her life experience as other guests and how we all do, where we can tell our story wherever it starts from and make improvement on it. And she's a girl that has a lot of experience of knowing the ins and outs of a strip club environment, but the human emotion of why people go there, what the people that work there experience and go through. It's able to give a picture of things that aren't usually talked about, but isn't that really part of life is that we have to sometimes experience things and have years of experience, be able to gain the type of wisdom to really make sense of it all and to really be able to come out of it with a positive spin. I tip my hat off to her because she has a lot of confidence. She's been able to be self-taught and she's been able to now be able to express herself in many, many forms and ways and is also learning how to run a podcast. And she's really having a good time with using her life experiences to better herself and at the same time, be able to help other people be able to face their challenges and where you can have a discussion and an open discussion with her and with others of how to really take your sexuality and understand it better and be able to hopefully set the right examples for your children. What did you think of the commercials that she did? I think they're spot on. I think she's really articulated things very, very well. We could learn a few lessons from her too. Not just her children, huh? But isn't that really what we all are in some degree? We grow up, but aren't we also just children with many years of more experience? Your father feels like he's still at times very young and would like to be with young people and be able to use the wisdom that I have of 65 years, but still want to play like I'm five or six years old. I love five or six year olds. I'd like to be one too, but without giving up the wisdom and experiences that I have. Real life can be beautiful. It sure can. I think it's a blast to be a five or six-year-old. Hey, you even have a song Uh, about being five that you've made all of us sing. That's right, because that is the best. This young lady has children of her own. She knows what abuse is. She knows what, what it is to live in a very tough environment, and yet she's putting a positive spin on searching out not only her own sexuality, but really the general rules of what should be acceptable and where people are able to have a forum to discuss those views and do it in a, in a comfortable manner. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 